Good morning. Paxton, Haley, Heather, thank you, team. Um, good to see everybody today. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Mark chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be in a few moments, Mark chapter 1, uh, particularly verses 9 uh, through 14, 15. Um, but before we get there, uh, just a lot of stuff going on in the life of our church. I want to explain uh, some of these things to you, uh, re- really kind of speak toward them and help you get an understanding uh, as we walked into the new year with new vision and excitement and things that are happening, who we are, what God's doing in our midst. Um, the first thing I want to share with you is this. We, we sang Be Thou My Vision last week in a very direct and appropriate manner. It was the desire of our heart to do that, to truly ask the Lord that he would not only be our vision, but also our wisdom. Um, those two lines that you just sang, that I just sang together, are, are deeply for us at, at Double Oak a prayer. I mean that for our elders, for our staff, for, for, for all of who we are, because um, last week we talked about a passage in Colossians, specifically chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 8, and then all the way down, uh, 9 and beyond, nine, especially through 12 and 13, where, where Paul describes this church, and he describes how he prays for them, how he resolutely prays for them, that they might have the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Prays for, for this new, this young church, that they would understand succinctly what it is that God would have them to do, who they would be as a people. So last week we talked about the fact that our elders uh, for, have been praying for a long time, wrestling with the Lord over the fact that we believe he's sensing us uh, being drawn in such a way where we've been connected to Double Oak Community Church Mount Laurel and still are. We're one church on two campuses, but we sense that God is doing something there and moving us to a place potentially of independence. So we've invited the church uh, to pray about that. That's something that we said. We had the opportunity to pray at the end of the service. Um, look, I, I think it's more than appropriate uh, that, that we pray together right now surrounding that. Um, look, this might seem nebulous and weird, strange to say, well, how do I just pray for that? How do I, how do I ask God that we'd have the knowledge of his will? We'll just do it, say that. <laughs> we're just going to say that. Legitimately, together this morning, um, we're, in our hearts and minds, we're going to ask that God would give us understanding uh, so that we can do the very best that we can to walk in step with his will according to the spiritual wisdom and understanding that he gives us, that we might be a people that serves this community faithfully with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you right now in this moment to just bow your head uh, and just take an opportunity to pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we are incredibly thankful for what you're doing in the life of your church. And Father, uh, we ask for truly, God, that you would give us by your Spirit the knowledge of your will, how you would have us to walk, how we can be a people that strategically shares your gospel with this community in the best way that you see fit. God, would you draw us into that place where we're confident as we trust in you? Father, we ask for wisdom and understanding that can only come by your Spirit Would you put that into our hearts? Would you work that in us? And whatever path you lead us down, Father, cause us to trust you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. It's a prayer we're going to be asking uh, week over week consistently together as we seek the Lord's face. Um, 
So if, if, if you want more information, you want to know more about last week and what we talked about, a unique and kind of different uh, sermon and, and, and moment for us, uh, I'd encourage you to go to Spotify, go to iTunes, you can go to the website, doubleoakcc.org, uh, and sermons, and you can kind of hear that stuff and go back and listen to it. Uh, here's the next thing. Uh, in a season of newness and, and, and things happening in the life of our church, um, some of you may remember and been with us since the beginning, uh, Hayes Parnell, who is standing uh, between these two really good-looking guys, uh, is, uh, he, Hayes Parnell was our first uh, worship pastor. When we launched the campus in July of 2018, uh, Hayes and Bethany and their family were a part of that launch, and uh, they live right here in Chelsea in this community. For the past uh, while, though, Hayes has been back serving as a worship pastor at Mount Laurel. When Paxton made the transition here, Hayes went there, and so he's been there ministering to the Mount Laurel campus uh, with his family. And Hayes let uh, our, us and our staff uh, and our church know within uh, the past couple weeks or so that God has been doing a new work in his heart and in the life of his family uh, and drawing them to receive a call uh, to, to go serve at a church in Wilmington, Delaware. Wilmington, Delaware. It's called Brandywine Val Valley Baptist Church. Uh, so not right down the street, right? Uh, he's moving 900 miles away, but feels like this is where the Lord is calling he uh, and his family. Uh, look, I'll tell you that, that Paxton and I had the opportunity to pray with him and over him. Uh, this week, our staff got to pray with him, uh, both on the Mount Laurel campus and the Chelsea campus. And look, this won't affect everybody. And I get that. And some of you are like, why is, why is this guy showing me this other guy that I don't know? I don't even know this guy. Why was he showing me that guy? Uh, look, th this is somebody that we deeply love that's been a part of who we are for a long time. Uh, and so some of you may know Hayes. You might even want to reach out to Hayes this week uh, and just encourage him and Bethany. Let that family know that you're praying for them, that you're excited about what God is doing in their life in this season. Hayes will be here a couple more weeks at the Mount Laurel campus leading uh, worship, serving over there. So uh, if you get a chance to shoot him a text, call, email, let him know you love him and appreciate his ministry uh, and what God's done foundationally through him here. All right, just a couple more things. Um, deacon nominations. Um, there are forms. If you look toward the back of the room, there's some high top tables. There's forms there. You got an email this week through Constant Contact. We're working really hard today and next week to really nail down folks that can serve as deacons. How many of you know what a deacon is? All right, a number of us, right? Uh, a lot of us uh, that are members of Double O, we have a deacon, someone that cares for us, someone that reaches out to us, someone that ministers to us. Truly, they serve. And this is a whole other sermon. I'm going to try really hard not to do it and just package it up really tight right here, okay? But here's the thing. Two very distinct passages I would encourage you to read this week. The, the beginning portion of Acts chapter 6, specifically verses 1 through 9, to help you see the institution of deacons and how God in his divine providence and wisdom gave the church these folks that long to serve, that long to meet practical and physical and tangible needs. And the qualifications for that in a really succinct way are placed in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 and onward. You get a picture of the character, the life of what a deacon looks like. Here's, here's who we are as a church. We're a body that has a number of different families and different folks, and we want to do our best to meet needs, to pray for others, to care for others in their moments of need, to, to take folks that have a new baby a, a meal, to take meals to folks that, that are in a spot where, the, hey, just they're sick or they're ill or they need something, to come alongside people who are grieving, to come alongside and rejoice with people and things that are going on in your life. Look, it's our opportunity to be a church who follows the model placed in the New Testament where we have deacons, people that serve and care for and meet the needs of others. We need more. 
as our church continues to grow, we need more of those. We want you to nominate them. There's forms uh, back there in the back. We want you to prayerfully consider that. You can also uh, do it online. I think there's one more slide uh, as we talked about. Um, is, there, is there a Q&A slide back there? I think maybe it pops up at the end. We'll do it later. Um, all right, let's do it later. Uh, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. Mark 1, 9 through 15. If you've already turned there, um, you're going to recognize this passage as one that we walked through in our Clarity series a, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, but this is a passage where Jesus comes to the place uh, where we really see the inception of his ministry and the foundation of it. Over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to launch into a series called Foundation. We're going to talk about what it means to have a true foundation. Um, look, I remember when this place was being built and, and walking on just the concrete slab here. And buildings and construction, all these things are a mystery to me because I don't have that mind. I've never seen that. I've never been a part of that work. I don't have that kind of ability to see that, but here's the thing I knew that day, stepping onto that slab, that it's strong. Incredibly, incredibly strong. You know this about everything in your life, not just your home or a structure or the place where you work, the things that are held up. There has to be a strong foundation. When a foundation is strong, Everything structurally stands, it's held together, it's given life, it's beautiful. When a foundation is weak, everything that rests upon it will crumble. It will fall. Every structure, and I would argue every person, is only as intact and strong as what lies beneath. So as we walk into the next season, uh, this, this spring, we're going to take several weeks to talk about our foundation. What is the foundation of Double Oak Community Church in Chelsea? What is it that we rest upon? In many ways, in, a, in an identity type way, who are we? Who are we as this local body, God's people? What's our foundation? Because our foundation is truly a fingerprint. It's this indelible thing that will mark us. It will define us. It will show each other and the world truly who we are. Look, here's the hope and the vision uh, for, for our campus, for our church, and, and who we long to be. And we've said this before, and we're going to set a record today maybe for how many times we say it. But we want to be gospel people. Gospel people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be gospel people? What does it mean to have a gospel culture? You guys know what culture is? Culture is that thing that everybody knows what it is, but we can't say it. You don't know how to define it, right? You don't know how to define it. But you can feel it, and you can sense it, and you can see it, and you can know what a culture is. Do you know why that is? Because this is what a culture is, if we were to, I think, helpfully define it. It's the reflection of, it's the picture of what we believe. That's what a culture is. When you look at a culture and you can feel it and you can sense it, that's because you are seeing, lived out before you, you are experiencing belief, conviction, 
what someone stands for. Ultimately, we could describe it in this way, what their foundation is. So this is the foundation for us and who we are as a church and a campus. It's these three things. This is who we're going to be. We're going to be people that believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. We're going to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then third, and finally, we are going to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this phraseology, this, this terminology surrounding the gospel is likely not new for you. If you've been here with us for some time, we walked through a series in 1 John where we saw the mission and the understanding and a framework for the Christian life that it looks like this. It's to believe the gospel, and as a result of believing, there's these things that happen, these implications that now we live in fellowship with God the Father through Christ the Son by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, that gospel we now live out into the world. We demonstrate this gospel in which we live that has come to us by God's grace because we've believed. So today we're going to center on believing the gospel. And in the same way that it's often hard to kind of describe culture, I think I could ask each of us, hey, what is the gospel? And how many of you would say you know what the gospel is? Almost everyone in here. But if I asked you what it was, I bet I would get a litany of varied definitions of what the gospel is. So that's one of the questions we're going to seek to answer today as we walk into a series where we talk about foundationally who we are. These three questions. So if you're the pen person, if you're the note taker person, this is your time, all right? Three questions that we're going to seek to answer today. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? The second one is this. What does it mean to believe in the gospel? And third, and finally, what is the result of believing in the gospel? So what is the gospel? That indeed will take us to Mark chapter 1. What is the gospel is the question we want to answer here. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. It says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. All right. So here's, here's what we see, and it's important to kind of list these earlier verses so you can get the context. This is the inception of Jesus' ministry. We see this incredible Trinitarian moment where God the Father's audible voice is over the Son. The Spirit descends on him like a dove as Jesus is baptized, and Jesus enters in so many ways in the inception of his ministry, and it's in the wilderness. And so Mark's passage obviously doesn't detail this wilderness scene like Matthew's will in chapter 4. But as Jesus emerges from the wilderness, having been protected and cared for and obedient to God the Father, Jesus comes preaching this thing called the gospel. And he specifically says this. 
In verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. So look at that. It says to believe in the gospel. That's what we're called to do, is to believe in the gospel. This is the action. This is the thing that we're called to do in relationship to the gospel. All right, so to believe in the gospel. What does that word mean? What does gospel mean? All right, so now we're going to really dive into what this word means. This is the nerdy part, and this is the strange part, but we're going to talk other language. This is Greek, uh, and the word is euangelion. The word is euangelion. This is the word, this is the Greek word for gospel. So if you read the original text, the original scrolls, the original manuscripts, this is the word that you find there. It's a compound word of two words. The first part, you, is good. It means good. And here's the thing about good is we say good for everything. I mean, for everything. We're like, that food was good, right? Or that movie was good. Or like, did you watch Auburn go on the road and beat Alabama this week? That basketball team is really good, right? All right, we're a basketball school now, so I have to do this. Um, look. We say good for a, a, a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff. You'll eat lunch with your family today, and somebody will say it's good. Unless you're at my house, they just won't eat anything. But the, we say good for absolutely everything. But good here is really important. Because this good is not just good like everything is good. This good is special and unique. And in the midst of this word good, we find this echo, really this directional, this pointing back to creation itself. Because God made the world through Christ and everything in it, and he saw that it was what? It was good. So this word is based on the kind of good that has to do with redemption. This good is not just, oh, that's good in the sense that it's not bad. It's good in the sense that this is like Garden of Eden good. This is restoration good. This is before the fall, before the brokenness. This is back to a place of redemption as if none of those things had ever happened. It's that kind of good. And then what is it that's good? It's this. It's news. It's good news. It's an announcement. It's a proclamation of this king, of this one who has come that is going to restore the goodness of all that God has made. The gospel, and you know this, is good news. So what constitutes the good news? How is it good news? Why do we know that it's good news? Why do we know that it's a good proclamation, a restorative, a redemptive proclamation? How do we know that that's what the gospel is? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to see everything that makes this gospel good. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6 says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. That word gospel in verse 1, look just at verse 1, 
That word gospel is the same gospel. It's the same Evangelion that we see in Mark. It's that picture of good news and good announcement. And here's what Paul does. He clearly lays out what this means. So he uses that word, gospel, and then he says it in this way, and he articulates it, and he details it with great specificity. This is what he says. First, he says, I delivered this to you. I gave this to you in verse 3. And he uses this phrase, of first importance. Of first importance. So everything that he's saying, everything that he's going to say in these next few moments, he says with first importance. He puts this direct, deep emphasis. And this is what he emphasizes. This is what he says. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. We see evidence of that resurrection in his appearing to Peter and then to the twelve. So what does according to the scriptures mean? You see all these things happen and you see this phrase according, accordance with the scriptures, according to the scriptures. What does that mean? Here's what it means. That the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not an afterthought. This first importance is preeminent. And has been from the very beginning. The gospel is constituted by, it's defined by, its life, its shape is, the good news is shaped by this, this good thing or this series of good things that Christ died for our sins. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And as Paul writes this and he describes in accordance with the scriptures, he's thinking of Psalm 22. He's thinking of the fact that Jesus would cry out that psalm and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's forsaken for our sake. He's thinking of Isaiah 53. He's thinking of this suffering servant passage, this one who would come and have a people who are healed by his stripes. By his taking on of our iniquity. So what's the gospel? To talk about it and describe it in an operative way. So that you and I could be on the same page. Not just so that we could go share the gospel and say this is exactly what it is. But so that we could believe it and trust it and know it and understand it for ourselves. This would be a definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' life death, and resurrection. What about all the other stuff? What about the salvation? What about the grace? What about the mercy? What about all of those things? Yes, there are implications that we're going to get to of what the gospel does. What happens when we believe it, but this at the core is the gospel. So what does it mean to believe in the gospel? What does it mean to believe in the gospel? You go back to that Mark 1 passage, and you look down into verse 15, and you see that word believe. There's this unique other word that you would find written on that scroll, uh, and, and that word is pisiu. All right? So here's what this word means. It means to entrust so when we say believe, sometimes we mean believe as we're going to take someone at their word. We believe what they said. 
Or sometimes we believe it, or we use the word believe in kind of this hopeful way, but it's really more of a wishful thinking way. Like, I believe this is going to happen. Like, there are those of us that after living in Alabama the majority of our lives, we believe it's going to snow today, right? Right? And it might. That's not the kind of belief this passage is talking about. The way that this is written in Mark's gospel, he describes believing as this. It's an entrusting. So, and why that word entrust instead of just trust? Because we can trust a number of things for a period of time, but to entrust suggests a giving of oneself. I'm entrusting you. I'm giving this to you in a full, in a complete, in a way that really is kind of characterized by total vulnerability and surrender. I'm giving myself to you. That's what it means to entrust. And that's what it means to believe in the gospel. It means to entrust. It's the influence of God upon our hearts to cause us to trust him in a way that is, that is so whole and so full the reality of this good news, this announcement of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus demands all that we are, all that we have. This is not another thing to put on our shelf or not another, another kind of aspect or facet of, of our very unique and complex lives. Instead, it is our life. Our life is given over. We entrust our life to Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a helpful picture of this. And we understand what's happening and we get the picture of the fact that even in that entrusting, it's not just us. It's not done through us. That God has really actually persuaded and drawn our hearts toward him in this amazing way by his grace. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So look at the different elements of this. First, we understand this. It's by grace that you've been saved. Grace. So, so this is God's unmerited favor. He has loved us in spite of who we are in Christ. And we've been saved in this way, through faith. This faith is, we're going to see in a moment, a gift. Something that God has given us. So even in our entrusting, even in our giving of ourselves to the Lord, it's He who is working in us. It's, it's not our own doing, as Paul writes, but instead it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we need to see, even as we entrust our lives to Christ, even as we have come to faith in Christ, that entrusting is the work that he has done in us. You look back into Mark 1 and, and verse 15, you see this too. That there's something that corresponds with belief, and it's repentance. This is why there's a need for grace. This is why there's a need for grace, and there has to be this thing that God does, not of our own doing. It's not what we do, not a result of works, but there's a reason he has to give us this gift of grace through faith, and it's because we are sinners. It's because we are sinners, and we have loved ourselves so well, and we have loved 
the things of the world and have chased down everything instead of trusting in the God who created us for relationship with himself. We made the garden ungood. And our sin, our relationship with Christ, or our relationship with God, rather, was broken. So we have to have redemption. So what does it mean to believe the gospel? How do we package all of these things together to articulate what belief in the gospel is? Well, we look into these verses, and this is what we see. It means to entrust our very lives to Jesus Christ. Repenting of sin, turning away from all things that are not God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, as we believe in the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. That's what it means to believe in the gospel. And in the coming weeks, as we talk about the foundation of who we are, you're already doing this. You're already sitting there saying, hey, man, we've kind of talked about this a lot lately. I feel like I know these things. I know that you know them. Like, I'm very aware that you know these things, that you cognitively perceive, you understand, you've gathered this information. I also know that it's your inclination as a human being to think, I've done this. Not just I know this, but I've done this. I entrusted, past tense, my life to Jesus Christ. I repented of sin, and I believed in the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And for so many of you, I believe that you have. But as we walk through foundationally who we are in the coming weeks, we're going to continually see that this isn't just what it means to believe the gospel in the past. It's what it means to believe the gospel right now. Right now. The rest of today, tomorrow, all those numbered days ahead that we would be people who entrust our lives to Jesus, who are continually repenting of sin, confessing our sin, knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of unrighteousness, and to continually believe that the foundation, that the banner over all of our lives and the banner over who we are as a church is this, the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Now, what's the result of believing in the gospel? What's the result? What happens as a result of believing in the gospel? And this part we're really, really good at. We know this like word-wise. That we, we know how to say this because what happens when you believe in the gospel is this. You are, oh, come on, saved. All right, saved. And we'll do this in a number of ways. We'll say that I was saved. And people of a certain era will typically say, I got saved. Right? Nobody thinks that's funny? Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough crowd today. Um, look, we describe the result of believing in the gospel typically as being saved. Now, what does that word saved mean? Because I think you and I know this. That word saved typically means to be freed from, to be moved out of something negative, right? We always talk about saved and then the, the bad consequence that we were saved from. Hey, I was saved from this. I was saved from this bad thing. 
For us as believers, we would say, I was saved from death and hell. You know what we're not good at? We're not good at recognizing that even more than what we were saved from, we've actually been saved into something. You and I as believers, if we trusted in Jesus Christ, we've been saved into something. So we sang it together this morning. One of the first things we did, we proclaimed and we sang, and some of us mumbled because we're waking up, right? But we sang, for God so loved the world that he gave us, one and only son, to save us. That whoever believes in him will live forever. So like, actually, look at the text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in belief, there's a result. This belief, believing in him, so when John writes, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that's his, that's his entering into, that's his presentation of the gospel. The giving of Jesus is this, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, that he appeared to those whom he loved. That gospel proclamation that results in belief has a result. There's something that happens, and it's eternal life. That's honestly the focus of how John writes this. It, the focus is not should, should not perish. That's, a, that's, I mean, plus, it's a benefit, right? But that's not the focus. The focus of this belief, the result of the belief, is eternal life. And that eternal life is not just, all right, no dying. Get to keep doing all the things I want to do. There's more to it than that. It's life in Jesus that we're caught up into that we can't imagine. This is why we continually stress the passage that Paul would teach in Colossians. Colossians 3, when he would say, For you have died, and Christ is your life. You and I are so bound up in him, we can't understand it. We can't fathom it. The union, the connection that we have with God in Christ is where we experience this eternal life. And there's a way, the result of believing in the gospel, there's a very particular way that describes what this life looks like and how it affects our personhood. How it affects who we are. This is John chapter 1, verse 12. When John describes Jesus as the Word, in the beginning the Word was with God, the Word was God. He describes all that Jesus is, true light that has come. Then he says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is what receiving him looks like. Look at the emphasis. It's on this. It's on belief. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become this, children of God. This is the result of believing the gospel. This life that we're caught up into in Jesus is primarily constituted by the way that we relate to God now because of what he's done. This is the way that we relate to him. We're his children. We're drawn into his family. This is not a God that says, hey, you know what? I'm going to tolerate you and let you hang around. 
I'm going to be someone who treats you okay. No, God has drawn us into deep fellowship with him, and he does describe this to us in Scripture in the most human way that we can understand, and it's of this, it's family. That you share a lineage, a bloodline, character, all of these incredible things. This is how the Scriptures present the result of believing the gospel. These things are not new to you. They're not new to me. But you know what they are? They're foundational. They're the bedrock that characterizes who we are as a church and as a people. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 because in this particular passage as we come to the close, this is what Peter articulates about the faith and the people of God. People like you and me, who we are. And he does it in this way where he kind of uses some construction elements and analogies of building. And this is what he says. As you come to him, and this is who he is, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones. You're like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This structure to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do and then he describes the people of God. And he says this, that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Here's how this connects to an understanding of the foundation of the gospel that we believe. Look at what happens in this passage. In verse 6 and verse 7, you're going to see this. So the honor is for you who believe. This is the honor, the one who is connected to this cornerstone. It's for those that believe. That's what we're called to do. To be in relationship with Christ is to believe, and then this is what we become. We live in the gospel as a people for his own possession. And then there's a purpose, what we're called to live out. And it's this, we're to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. The God that took us from the place where we would perish and gave us eternal life. The God that took us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us and moved us by grace through faith 
That's how we experience that he moves us to this kingdom of light. This is the foundational picture that we see in the gospel. We're called to believe the gospel, to live in the gospel, and to live it out. That's who we're going to be as a church. And God's going to form us and shape us into these folks that are gospel people. So this morning, as our worship team comes and we begin to respond to the gospel itself, these are the things that we need to take with us. What is the gospel? If you and I are going to share our faith, if we're going to live out, if we're going to proclaim the excellencies, we've got to live it out. We do that as we live in it together, in fellowship, because we've believed the gospel. So this, what is the result of believing in the gospel that would make us these foundational people that would live in it and live it out? What is the result of believing in the gospel? We have new life, eternal life, as John's gospel says, in Christ. And we're characterized in this way. We're children of God. All of these incredible promises, every yes and amen, all of these things that happen as a result of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are really bound up in this. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ today is what? January the 16th, 2022. It's a rainy, it's a murky day. Of course, the one day it would even potentially snow, kids are out of school the next day, right? These poor kids. But you know what really marks today and defines today for you more than anything? More than the weather or how you felt when you got up this morning? Or what you're walking through? If you've trusted in Christ, this is what defines you. You have new life, eternal life, in Jesus Christ, and you're a child of God. That's what today is about for you. That's the result of God's gracious hand in bringing you to this place where you believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. As you came to believe in that gospel and repent of your sins and trusting your life to Jesus, this is the result. We need to know this. It's foundational. We need to celebrate this. And look, I'm not blind, and I have like a pretty good sense of, and feel of the things that are happening around me. We didn't sing the first three or four songs very well this morning. I'm just going to throw it out there. And look, I, I'm not saying everybody has to be... This is. I don't think most people are going to walk in the door and accuse us of being this wildly charismatic church, all right? But this ought to be something that excites us as we sing these words. We're going to sing words that, that, that tell us who we are. That have effectively happened to us. That have changed us. So I want us to do that. Let's stand and sing these words together. These words drawn from the truth of Scripture that tell us that we're children of God, that that's who we are. And look, like, 
I have a buddy the other day that, that like, he, he started, uh, I think he stopped now because he wants to stay married. But he, he started calling his wife January because she was just cold and miserable. Right? It's a joking way, a joking way, a joking way. Um, I'm not trying to set a precedent here. Um, but look, it's January. It's a January day, and I get it. It's gloomy. It's murky. It's all that stuff. But man, like in the depth of our hearts, could we sing and could we recognize the love that God has had for us, that he has for us now, and it'll have in the future continually toward us in the gospel? And let's just sing this and celebrate together. If you want to pray, come pray. Uh, if you want to sit, stand, you just want to think on these words, do that. But let's respond and worship now. Let me pray for us as we enter this time. Heavenly Father, God, we long to be gospel people. People who proclaim and confess the good news, the restorative, redemptive kingdom news of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. God, and as people who believe in this gospel, who've entrusted our lives to you, repented of sins as we've believed this truth, God, you've changed us and you've caused us to be people who now have eternal life. Father, people that are your children. God, Jesus calls us his friends. So draw us to worship in light of that. We pray it in his name. Amen.